Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. I'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The way to battle cravings for junk food is to replace them with really tasty, more healthy food. And the point of this text this morning is that the more we taste, the more we eat, the more we experience the kindness, the goodness of the Lord to us intimately, personally, in this book called the Bible, the more those innate, sinful, unloving desires diminish. Let's pray. Father, help me make that point this morning. Help us see that that is what you are saying to us, your church. And therefore, help me, help us see in this precious, holy word the delightfulness of the meal you offer us every day for the sake of our souls and for the sake of our souls overflowing in love. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's one main verb in this text. That means there's One thing we are told very directly as Christians to do. And that is the command from God to desire. And that's kind of weird. But that is the command to us this morning. He says to every professing believer... No matter what state your heart is, he says, desire more. And the reason that it is important in verse 2 is because there is a constant threat to every professing believer. Let's read verse 2 again. He says to us, like newborn infants, 
like them, you long or, or crave the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow unto salvation. The goal in the text is to grow up to salvation. The threat to not doing that in the text is a spiritual, heartfelt passivity toward the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. And therefore, every one of us, by this text, are to be warned about this great danger that we're so prone to do. And it is utterly, biblically misguided. Well, that's not my makeup, my, my personality to have strong passions, desires, yearnings for the Word. I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of a person. So let's not make a big, huge deal out of this and go overboard with Christianity Go overboard with the importance of words on pages called the Bible. Especially because, you know, it's not my psychological makeup. That type of mindset is really dangerous to the souls of people. Because it leaves them trapped and it gives us an excuse to not obey clear commands of Scripture, like this command this morning. I mean, just think about it. Floating in the air of 21st century America, pop psychology, the vast majority of us human beings hate being told how we should feel. <laughs> How we should, especially and when you're commanded to feel differently than you might feel at this moment. And we have all kinds of excuses. You don't understand my family of origin. You don't understand how screwed up I am. You don't understand what has happened to me as a child that impacts and affects how I feel and deal with life today. And I probably don't. Because I grant that none of us have walked in the other person's shoes. And that's true. And we're not all on equal ground. We all have differing depths of pain and problems that affect how we feel, how we think, how we react today. I know it. But to keep that attitude and say, therefore, somehow, this command from God is not really to me, is really sad. Because the point 
is that there is a joy and a hope that is otherworldly in this command that can break through all the pain and the effects of what life has done to us. The point is, it is in the context of real, individual, human lives, real pain, real brokenness, real messed up people, that this text speaks and says to us, by pursuing purposefully, actively, the growth of our affections and our desires, our cravings, our longings to make them the Word of God, we may grow up to ultimate salvation. So let's look at it. Here, in verse 2, God, through Peter, commands us not to be content with hard-heartedness, with lukewarmness, with dullness toward Him and toward the Word. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. That verb is in the imperative mood. It's the mood of command. We are being told to do something. And the word is epithumeo. The, 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 the noun form is epithumia. Some of you Greek, Greek heads know that. That's the same word when Paul talks about the lusts of the flesh. That means the strong, overwhelming desires for the flesh. Okay, so grab that. We can all relate to this. Sin. That thing that we all experience and it's overwhelming at times. Pick one. That's desire. You're trying to diet. <laughs> and you have a hard time. You know what it is to desire. To eat. Okay, got that? That's what he tells us to do. Every one of us. Do you feel no desire? Do you feel numb toward God? It does mean, it does mean towards Him who speaks in the Word. Do you? He says to us, you don't have to remain there today. He says the one who has no desire to eat of the Word of God he says, get desire. He says, you're not hungry. He says, be hungry. And then Peter says in this text, let me make it clear exactly what I mean. He says, picture a newborn baby. Breastfeeding newborn. Oh, I can relate to this. And picture that baby, once again, 3 a.m. in the morning, wakes up screaming for mommy's milk. He says, can you picture what that means of that baby being hungry, longing for mommy's milk? 
He says, that's what I mean, Christian, for you to pursue being that hungry for the Word of God every day. And what is so stunning about verse 2? It is a command, and it's not a command to do something externally. It's this immaterial cognitive, emotional, affectional command that you can't touch, you can't cut up. You can't say, okay, I did that. Like, I can tell my kids, take out the trash. But I don't have a desire to. I don't care. They can obey that command. And you know the old saying, we all do this, kids or adults. Yes, I know I'm supposed to do that. Stand up or sit down. Well, I'm sitting down. On the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up still in rebellion. Okay, we can do all kinds of external things. This is a command to long. It's a command to crave, even if you don't crave right now, something. It's a command to desire something you don't presently desire. This goes dead against really the heart of so many of us Christian people. It's really easy for a lot of us to just say, well, I got my theology down straight. I mean, I got the core of the gospel down. I, I, I can even teach to you justification by faith alone and divine election and the process of sanctification. So look at I'm doing that, see? Desire the, 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 the Word. Well, I mean, I, I got the Word. I like the Word. But I'm not sure it's quite at it. Because we might say, I know that. I'm the type of merely cerebral. So I'm not the kind of person who feels the way the psalmist felt in Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the flowing waters. Let me just stop for a minute. That word pants there in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, exact same word in our text to long. As, as the deer pants for the flowing waters, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. Watch it. That our hearts would say, that's great for them. I'm just made up differently than that. See, I think probably that, that, that all of us, there's inside of us, this, to what you're even hearing so far this morning, this knee-jerk reaction of, how could anyone, even God, tell me, command me to have desire? I mean, I either have desire for this or that, or, or, or I don't. What do you mean, have desire? My whole problem is, I don't have desire. Now you just command me to have it? I'm, that, that's like telling me after... Spending an hour and a half at El Torito, gorging myself on, on fajitas. I can't eat anymore. And I walk out and, 
and I run into you and you say, hey, we're all going over to Olive Garden. Come and, and eat with us. And I, said, I just, I can't. I'm stuffed. I have absolutely no desire for food. And you say, well, then desire it. But I'm not hungry. Get hungry and come. That's what this feels like, I really think, to many of us. And we act upon it. But this text is the biblical worldview. This text is part of the gospel. You know Ephesians 2. Let's just start at the beginning. We know what it is to not be hungry whatsoever for the grace of God. As Paul says, we are all born into sin. Children of wrath. Along with the rest of the world, blinded to the deliciousness of the gospel. And then verse 3. Great words. But God, being rich in mercy, with the love with which He loved us, caused us to come alive. Caused desire to eat and to embrace Christ. Okay, right? Or Paul says, we saw the last two weeks, and we'll see it three weeks in a row. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, stumbling block to, to Gentiles. It's foolishness. Of course, we say, Eat, eat, and be saved. Desire. And they don't. But he says, But to those who are called from among the Jews and the Greeks, out of them, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God does something. That's the new covenant. What do you mean? God not only commands, but He gives the ability to obey the command. That's why the command to us this morning, desire, desire the pure milk of the Word. That's why it's not meant at all to be depressing to true Christians. It is our very hope. Because just as essential as the command is to hear it and to obey it is the reality of we are to trust He will give the ability to do it. If we don't desire, then we trust because He commands it in the Word. He knows something that we might not know. So obey Him and move and pray or desire more desire ad infinitum and desire to have more desire to desire prayerfully, because He is able to ignite desire as we cry out in 
pursue it. We're called not to settle, but to become like my baby Caleb. I didn't wake up last night for mommy's milk. Be concerned. Say, I'm not settling. I need to wake up again day by day to desire mommy's milk. Now, now notice, because we just so that's the verb. There's the command. Desire, long for, crave. It's what he's saying. Notice verse 1 now here of chapter 2 of 1 Peter begins with the word therefore. It should, the ESV says so, means the same thing, but it means therefore. What's that mean? It means what we're seeing this morning in verses 1 to 3, it's based on what just came before in chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And remember what we saw last week there? The essence of it was the Word of God is imperishable. It's living forever. So, in other words, now what he's saying to us this morning is, because you have been, from last week, born again by the Word of God, and you are abiding in it, therefore, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. See, the connection is this. Since you have been born again by the gospel, by the word of God, therefore, desire the word of God all the more. That's the logic. He's saying, if you began your life, this new life as a Christian, by the word of God, then go on. Being sustained by its mother's milk. Because that's the way babies grow. That's the way the elect grow to salvation. Now, i got to put this big parenthesis in, depending on what translation you have. And you're saying, why do I keep saying He is commanding us to desire the milk of the Word of God. Since, Joe, at least the translation you're reading out of this morning, the English Standard Version says, long for the pure spiritual milk. The word word is not in there. So, briefly, some of you may be looking at a New King James or King James, they translate it, desire the pure or the sincere milk of the Word. There's the word Word. The New American Standard Bible translates it, long for the pure milk of the Word. But the NIV just translates it this way. Crave pure spiritual milk. Not the word word. And, and, and of course, the ESV, same thing. Crave or long for the pure spiritual milk. It's not a textual problem. That means a Greek text problem. The translate, let me just say, the, the, what I think, the NIV 
and the ESV are technically more accurate. The word in question is the word logikos, not the word logos. Most of you know logos, the word word in Greek, right? It's the word logikos, which is not the word logos. It, it has to do with something to do with speech or with, 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 with reason, rational, spiritual, in other words, non-material. So he, he, I think technically he's saying something like that. Crave the pure non-materials, that is spiritual, rational milk. Okay, let me do it again. Let me paraphrase, saying, translate this very loosely in other words to get the flow of what I think he's saying. Since, in the larger context, now going back to chapter 1, since you have been born again by the Word of God, therefore, just as newborn babies crave their mother's milk, so also you are to crave the pure, metaphorically speaking, spiritual milk of the Lord. So, when the King James or New King James or New American Standard Bible, they translated milk of the Word, what that is is an explanation of the text. And I think they're right. But, depending on how we hear, crave the milk of the Word, you might actually lose something in that translation that you might not see about what Peter is saying. In other words, here's the question. Is the spiritual milk, or the spiritual milk of the Word, is it merely... The Word of God here, called the Scripture, Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament. Is it merely the words on the pages? Or is it something more specific about the Word of God on the pages? And I think... In the context, it is something more specific. First, we all know people who could really be Bible people. I mean, they can really just absorb themselves in understanding portions and passages of Scripture, theological content, but don't seem to be very moved by it. Joy produced by it. Intimacy, a prayer life, repentance produced by it. Almost as if, see, there's a difference between someone who could teach you, unfold for you, even show you in the kitchen how to build that meal. They know the recipe. And they're really good at recipes. And they have them written down. But they don't ever eat the food. I think that's what the core of what Peter is getting at in this command. The reason I say that is the context. Look at the connection between verses 2 and 3. He says, like newborn babies crave or long 
for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Here's the connection now. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Here's the real, what's he mean by the word if here? He means this, since. Long for the pure spiritual milk, since it's true, you, isn't it, is it true of you? If it is, then you're one of those people who's been born again by the word. That's what the if's there for. So let's assume that. Long for this pure spiritual milk. Since it's true, you have tasted that the Lord is good or kind or the kindness of the Lord. See, verse 3 is a reason for the command to crave the spiritual milk. Slowly, again, the logic goes like this. Because you have tasted personally to you the, got to get it, the kindness of the Lord. That is, in the context of the Word, in being born again by the Word. Because that's true of you. You've tasted personally the kindness of the Lord in the Word. Therefore, go on longing, tasting of that pure spiritual milk. So spiritual milk, it consists of the Word. That means, in this context, the Scripture. But it's more than that. It's the intimate, personal kindness or goodness to you in, through, experienced by the Word. In other words, there is always to be this twofold dynamic going on in the Christian life with the Word of God in our interaction with it. First is to interact with the content. Be... Be dead serious about trying not to read something into it it doesn't say, but to get out of it what is already there long before you were ever born. What does God say to us here in this text, here in that text, here in the other text? So first, to interact with the content. But it's twofold. It is secondarily to constantly, prayerfully, Pursue experiencing the goodness of God to you personally in that content. As Psalm 19 says, you know, we read it last week in our scripture reading. The law of the Lord, the word of God is good, lightening the soul. And then he gets to the point where sweeter also than honey. Talking about the word of God. It's sweeter also than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb. What's he saying there? He's saying the same thing Peter's saying. 
It's one thing to be able to go on the internet and Google honey and learn all kinds of things about honey and be able to explain to other people that honey is sweet and teach them what the word sweet means. It's great. It's one thing. It's important. But it's quite another to experience for yourself by tasting honey that it is sweet. That's what he's saying. To know what the Bible says is essential. To know the Gospel is essential. But it's not enough. We must constantly be in pursuit of welcoming its message. Eating it as honey. We must taste the goodness, the kindness of the Lord in it. In the Word. And thus, to be born again, as we saw last week, by the Word of God, by the Gospel, that is, by this saving, glorious kindness to me, to you, individually, by God, in the Word. That's what it is to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, that's where he's getting this from, from in the Old Testament. The command, taste and see that he's good. Peter says, all you who are born again, don't you get it? You have tasted and you have seen that he's good. Therefore, go on tasting and seeing that he is good. That's the thrust of the text. Desire, desire, long for, taste constantly and see the goodness of the Lord to you. Even in the midst of that, whatever can come to your mind right now, taste and see. Especially when you have no desire to eat. Hear the command. Desire. Desire to suck the milk of the kindness of the Lord which comes to you through the nipple of the Word of God. So, here's the flow of the passage reaching back into chapter 1 again. If the Word is powerful enough to create new life in you, then it is powerful enough to create desire in us while we are weak. And therefore, don't settle, is the command. Don't settle for lukewarmness, but know that God creates desire through the means of our desiring to desire more as we sit over the Word of God. All believers in this text are called to obey the command. Desire intimacy. Desire the joy that honey brings to your palate 
Desire the joy that the honey of the kindness of the Lord brings to you on a daily basis as you partake of what the Lord says from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, before we end now, let's, let's get the whole text now. We haven't seen really verse 1. Let's look at it. This command, be desperate, crave, is there in a context for a particular reason. In verse 1 lets us know what it is. He's saying the result of our feeding upon God's goodness experientially to us is what destroys sinful, unloving attitudes and actions. Pick up with verse 1. Literally, putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long crave the pure spiritual milk. So, you got a Bible in front of you. Just remember, cross out where it says that big old two, chapter two. Peter didn't write chapter two, okay? And he doesn't write verses. There's a flow going on. And to last week's sermon, to last week's text, remember the context. His main command to us last week was what? Love one another. Sincerely and earnestly, passionately, from the, not merely acts, hear the connection, from the, from the heart. And he said, how did that happen? What's the ground of doing that? We saw last week was very clear. Having been born again by the Word of God. That's the source of loving others, the Word of God. Now, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 expands on why the spiritual milk is so important. What's the answer? Is verse 1. He goes on to explain in detail what it is to be loving by doing it in the negative, by telling you the exact opposite of what is loving. See, the point is the more you taste, and see, I didn't say the more you read your Bible, necessarily. You can't do it without reading your Bible. Well, you can. You can hear Scripture and put it in your, in your head and quote it. And you can hear sermons. You can bring them with you. You can get your favorite preachers on the internet. You feed yourself the Word. Yes, but it's more than that. It is the tasting and seeing that He is good. And He says, the more you do that, the more at those given moments, I say that on purpose, because your great tasting of the Word of God three and a half months ago for that week, which you saw fruit of love flow out of you, you saw malice and deceit diminish, that won't suffice for next week. So as we are partaking in an experience, and he's saying the more unloving behaviors of verse 1, those attitudes and actions diminish. So in other words, the end of chapter 1, he says, love others, how? (laughs) 
through being filled with the Spirit by the Word of God. This morning, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he says, get rid of these unloving attitudes and actions. How? By desiring and feeding and tasting the goodness of God to you in the Word of God. So, one way, the core way he's been saying these last few weeks to have fruits that overflow in loving other people is our dependence and our desperateness upon the Word. And here he makes it clear. It is our tasting the goodness of the Lord through the truth of God in Scripture that diminishes and destroys. Let's go through them. Malice means wickedness, which means that desire to bring harm to someone else in word or action. It destroys guile or, or deceit, which is the desire to gain an advantage over the other person. By being deceitful. It destroys hypocrisy, which is insincerity, which is deliberately masking inward evil or intentions to show some kind of outward sign of righteousness, which we saw last week is the exact opposite of the love that new birth and the Word of God are creating. Because he called it a sincere love, opposite of hypocrisy. It destroys envy, that desire to have what someone else has, instead of being happy for the blessing in their life. So you get resentful. <laughs> That's not loving. And it destroys slander. Any false charges against people which are intended to cause them pain, harm, ruin their reputation. And so he's saying this destroying, this resisting of these sinful tendencies which we all know very personally. That's the other side of the coin of desire. Communion with God in His kindness to you through the Word of God. His point is, love people by the overflow of communion with God in His Word. Realize it as our satisfaction in Him rises, these unloving desires diminish. As our satisfaction in Him lessens and we ignore the command, do it long enough, you will see these attitudes rising in your actions being based upon them. 
The reverse is true too. What do I mean, reverse? Go to the Word. But as you go to the Word, you look at the sin, the unloving attitudes, the unloving behaviors, and you resist them as you go to the Word. And if we're doing this back and forth, resisting, help me crying out, you'll find desire for God in His Word to grow. Peter's saying, do not think that verse 1, malice, envy, slander, can coexist at the same time and in the same heart as desire for the experience, prayerful communion with God in the Word and in the Gospel. They can't exist at the same time and in the same heart. We are called to fight against spiritual apathy. Boredom. Malice. Deceit. Slander. Repaying evil for evil. We're called to fight against it by, by fighting to taste the kindness of the Lord to us in the Word. The main means all over Scripture that God has ordained and that He uses to work on His children, on our desires, our wills, thus our actions. The main means He uses is the Word of God. Listen to how Paul just very briefly just put this in a synopsis. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he writes, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, setting apart, changing you, working out, through sanctification by the Spirit. And by belief or trust in the truth. It's how he does it. And this is exactly what Peter is saying. This is sanctification. And foundationally to sanctification, to growing more holy. To God, let me be a little more loving today than I've ever experienced. It is grounded in the Word of God. The result of desiring the goodness, the kindness of God in the Word, Peter says, is so that you may grow up to salvation. And we have seen in Peter, there is a sense in which, yes, you are saved, and there's a sense all through the New Testament in which salvation is still future. The, the final salvation hasn't, hasn't happened yet. If you're in Christ, He's assured it because He called you, as Paul just said, to be the first fruits, to save you. Not apart from, but through sanctification by the Holy Spirit and your faith, your trust in the truth 
It is God who gives the growth. This is not something different than the essence of salvation by faith. It is the essence of that faith working itself out that does save. Come. So, abundant grace, let us desperately, continually take these verses this morning to heart. It means wake up and hate the apathy, the hard-heartedness, the lack of hunger for communion with God in the Word. Let us daily, as much as we know, without food, you're not going to survive. Daily pursue our heart's desire and craving for the pure milk of the Word that we may grow to salvation. Father, I pray that You you take these three verses this morning and You, by Your Spirit, embed them in the hearts of each and every person here. That You embed them in the very context in fear in desperateness to varying degrees that each person is going through. May we know You more. May we press on to know You more. May we grab hold of You more where You have spoken. to the deep assurance and satisfaction of our hearts and to the glory of Jesus being shown in the fruit of that overflowing in love to others. I pray. Amen.